Welcome to Into Theology. My name is Wyatt Graham, and I'm joined with Professor Ian Clary. We are continuing to study great works of theology, and we're in our second week of studying the great work of Job. We're probably going to do this for four weeks. I'll let Ian uh, describe kind of what we're going to do and then open up with a reading from Job 28. So go ahead, Ian. Yeah, so we kind of intro the book, uh, talked about some themes in the last uh, podcast, and then uh, we talked. We mentioned in that one that we're going to be addressing particularly the theme of retribution in this. And uh, I noted in that previous podcast, we're going to have a special guest uh, to join us uh, at the end. And so not, uh, not today, not next recording, but the fourth in this four-part series, we're going to be joined by a philosopher named Owen Anderson. And Owen, uh, he teaches at Arizona State University, and uh, he's actually writing a philosophical commentary on Job, which I'm reading through right now, and it's really, really helpful. And so it'd be good to just kind of like have like a, a, a kind of a summarizing kind of discussion with, with Owen. Um, so what we've been working through uh, in preparation for, for this, it kind of really culminates in the centerpiece of the whole book of Job, uh, which is what, is what is wisdom? Where is it? Where is it to be found? Uh, and uh, the kind of centerpiece is, is Job 28. And so this is his sort of like famous hymn to wisdom. I'm just gonna read that to kind of set the stage uh, for what he's really looking for when he's looking for God in the midst of his suffering. So Job 28 and verse one, uh, surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out the farthest limit, the ore in gloom and deep, deep darkness. He opens shafts in a valley away from where everyone lives. They're forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, out of it comes bread, but underneath it is turned up as by a fire. It's stones, the place of sapphires, and it has dust of gold. That path no bird of prey knows, and the falcon's eye has not seen it. The proud beasts have not trodden it. The lion has not passed over it. Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle, and the thing that is hidden he brings out to light. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me, and the sea says, it is not with me. I cannot, it cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place, for he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he sought and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. And it's like you can see it's like it's almost like a climax of the of the whole book 
you know, we're going to go on in the next uh, podcast to talk about God's response to Job and all that sort of stuff, but we can't lose sight of the importance of, of Job 28. And it's, it's, you know, as we kind of noted in the, in the last discussion about this, that there's the, this kind of poetic language and the, the kind of poetic form gets really heightened at sort of key points. And man, the poetry here is just so beautiful. I mean, he's, he's going on this like length for the first 11 verses, just describing how man searches after precious stones, gold and, and various types of, uh, um, you know, uh, the ophir and coral and all that kind of stuff, pearls. And it's like, we go to such lengths, we dig holes deep into the earth, places where nobody else knows about them to try to find these things. And then there's this question that happens twice in, in verse 12 and verse 20, where's wisdom to be found? We go to all these lengths for these other things and they're so precious to us, but wisdom is infinitely more precious. Where is it to be found? And he gives us this great answer in verse 23. God knows. God knows where is it, where it's to be found. Turn to him and you'll find it. And where is it? Verse 28. What is wisdom? Oh, it's the fear of the Lord and a turning away from evil. That's very powerful. We're talking too about this poem. And it's interesting. So in English, if you want to emphasize something, you can underline, you can make it into italics, you can make it into bold. In ancient Hebrew, the way to emphasize something was, was to kind of place it in a unique, uh, among the text, to put something in the middle or maybe at the ends. In Job, Job 28, it's kind of in the middle of the book. Yeah. And that's actually a place of emphasis often in writings. So while, while we might think it's weird that it's just kind of plopped in the middle of these of these conversations. Yeah at least according to some sort of ancient standards, this is actually just a way to kind of make it all in bold text or in all cap letters or whatever. It's meant to draw our eyes to it. I think it's preparatory probably for God's revelation at the end. Yeah. I, I, think it's, I think it also functions as a rebuke to the friends, you know? Interesting. It's like, we're going to talk about retribution here. It's like, they, they, they think they've got their wisdom, right? They figured it out. They know what God's doing here. You know, we're, you're being oh, punished because yeah. you're wicked. And Job's right. like, I'm not wicked, guys. I'm sorry. Like, uh, you get all of Job's responses. And it's like, as, as each conversation goes on, you can almost see the three friends getting hardened. It's like, he, they say, here's what's going on with you. And Job's like, no, it's not it. And they're like, it's almost like they double down on him. And he's like, no, guys, it's, this isn't, you're wrong. That's not what's happening here. Where is the real wisdom then? It's not to be found in these so-called friends of his. Job saying, actually, the wisdom is just to be found in God alone. Well, it is interesting that the introduction and conclusion to Job maintained that he was upright. And as you know, there, there's this idea of retribution. So um, I think it's called the retribution principle. Maybe that's just how I've heard it. Maybe people talk about differently. But the idea is, uh, in, in the ancient world, there was just an assumption about how everything worked. It's kind of like gravity is so obvious to us today. Everyone oh. thinks you drop an apple, boom, gravity pulls it to the ground or however they think about it. And this world was, look, if you do good, you get good. If you do bad, you get bad. If you sin, yeah. something's wrong. So John chapter nine is an illustration of this. Yeah. Why, why was the man born blind? Was it because of his sin or, or someone else's? So actually it was to glorify God. <laughs> uh, that's the answer. Yeah. Job, why did Pardon. something bad to happen to him? Was it because he sinned or someone else? Answer is to vindicate God before yeah. Satan, in part at least. Yeah. Um, so I think that's important to realize that the the uh, conversationalist Job's friends, Eliphaz, Zophar, and so on, um, build that. 
are are assuming the retribution principle is true in various ways. So they'll tell him, you must have done evil. You must have done bad. Job will not admit that. And I think that's striking to a lot of us today because when you read the old, like we believe that we're, you know, we're in sin, totally depraved and so on. But sometimes I read the Psalms where, you know, David will be like, I've done right. (laughs) I'm innocent or or whoever will like that kind of language is in scripture anyway. And it strikes us as like, well, you you could never say that. Uh, But there actually has to be a category for that because the Bible says that. So if our theological categories exclude the, the idea that I've, that you've been upright in a situation, then we're probably off kilter to some yeah. degree. I'm not saying we're not totally depraved. That's just so people listening. That's not my point. But I'm You're saying there an has Armenian. To be, yeah. No, I'm just saying there has, to, there has to be a category for this. And the retribution principle then uh, is maybe a good uh, proverbial wisdom, but that always has exceptions. Sometimes yeah. uh, you work really hard and it comes to ruin because of war, famine, disease. Sometimes you have an easy life and you get wealth and prosperity and goodness. It's not really because of your moral failings or success. It's because of God's mysterious providence in short. Yeah. And yeah, it's uh, amazing because, you know, you go to the second half of, of Job 24 and Job's making that exact point. Oh, right? is he? <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's basically saying like, so I guess Job 24, uh, let's see here, say verse 12. Okay. Uh, from out of the city, the dying groan and the soul of the wounded cries for help, yet God charges no one wrong. Uh, There are those who rebel against the light, who are not acquainted with its ways, and who do not stay in its paths. The murderer rises before its light, that he may kill the poor and needy, and in the night he's like a thief. The eye of the adulterer also waits for the twilight, saying, no eye will see me, and he veils his face. In the dark they dig through houses, by day they shut themselves up, they do not know the light. For deep darkness is morning uh, to all of them, and they are friends with terrors of deep darkness. He's like basically saying here that these guys are getting away with it. They're in hiding. They're doing what they want, and nobody nobody's doing anything. And 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 it's the same kind of idea. It's like how can these how can these guys get away with stuff? And yet here's Job, who's righteous right. and he's suffering. Here's where it gets real practical. Psalm seventy three. The psalmist there, uh, whose name is, I'll remember it probably in a moment, but he's really perturbed because the evil seemed to have success. And he's served God his whole life. He's not getting what he thinks is coming to him. And at the end of the day, he comes to what I would argue is an eschatological conclusion. God will judge. (laughs) Vengeance belongs to the Lord in the, uh, well, Deuteronomy, but Roman sense. And that that seems to me... um, has to be part of the answer because it, and let's go practical. Let me stay practical for a second. Actually, it's really easy for us when someone confesses sin or is going through a hard time to think, "What did you do wrong?" Yeah. Job tells us possibly nothing. What? What? Doesn't that change how you do counseling? If someone comes to you and they're having a hard marriage or they're suffering in some way, our immediate response should not necessarily be, "Oh, you? Were, how were you a bad husband?" It could be, by the way. I'm not saying it couldn't be. I'm saying that should not be our only response. It could actually just be because (laughs) suffering is real and it doesn't always follow the retribution principle. On the other hand, it also takes away this feeling that we ought to be jealous because if we think I've done so good, I ought to get be as famous as this person or have this much good rewards. It really removes that expectation. If it happens, great. Sometimes it does, probably more often than not, it does. Hard work begets success. Yeah. 
Not always though. And I think that's just so, it's just so practical for how we view life. It, it erases the feeling of we deserve this. So it doesn't make you prideful, but it also re, re, uh, releases you from the feeling of judgmentalism because you don't know. Yeah. Both of those things, you know, uh, are, should not be a primary ways that we do biblical counseling. If I want to use that kind of language. We need to do job counseling. That's what we need to do. <laughs> it's at least giving you insight into the human condition that we don't always get yeah. um, from our from our standard sets of wisdom. Um, so it's interesting. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say I was gonna go back to Job twenty-eight. Yep. So where is wisdom? It's not in Job's friends, apparently. Nope. Nope. So where do we find like what so what is the answer? I mean, the last verse. So fear God and do good or avoid evil. Yeah, I mean, it's very similar, right, to what we were looking at a couple weeks ago. The very end of Ecclesiastes, too, you know? It's like, whoa, it's like the the core, as I'm reading in Job and thinking about Ecclesiastes in the back of my head, I'm like, man, the correspondences are so profound. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's behold, the fear, behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, which we see in the Proverbs as well. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Right? Turn away from evil. Uh, to turn away from evil is understanding. And you can kind of see it like all throughout like these pockets in Job where, you know, he's, he's making these sorts of similar kinds of statements. They're almost like, it's like, there's like a, it seems like a buildup. Like if you look at Job 14, 14, he says things like if a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my service, I would wait until my renewal would come. So he's looking for a kind of like, what, what is this renewal that he's looking for? Um, He's, he says in 16.2, he's miserable with all of his comforters, right? Uh, and uh, uh, he says in 7, God uh, now has worn me out. He's made desolate all my company. So he's, those are taken away from him. Uh, he says, um, again, he says, I think it's in 17.10, but you come on again, all of you, and I shall not find a wise man among you. Can't find wisdom anywhere in anybody. Uh, and then in 19, it's like it gets really rough. Uh, he says first, he's like in verse four, even if it be true that I've erred, my error remains within myself. It's nothing to do with you people and your wisdom. And then he says in uh, 1913, he says, uh, those who knew me are wholly estranged from me. Uh, he says that his, uh, his guests, his maidservants count him as a stranger. He's a foreigner in their eyes. 1917, he says that his breath is strange to his wife. He's a sense of mother of his own, the children, the mother of his children, even his children, young children despise him. He's completely alone. Okay, let's talk about that. Okay. Um, suffering and estrangement. It strikes me that a lot of the reason why suffering stinks <laughs> he is says because of estrangement. Point. Yeah, right. Um, when you don't have supporters, when, when you're going through a, a hard marriage or something with your children or some public event... And your friends either are like Job's friends. What did you do wrong? Yeah. I'm here to help. What did you do wrong? Let's fix it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or because it's too awkward, they pull away. Yeah. That is a kind of estrangement that you, it's not good. It's brutal. It's alienating. And you feel alienated from your own self, you know? And you can imagine uh, in some, uh, you know, in some kind of Christian circles, there is this idea that if, if there's a sinner, like someone sins, that there's a real sense in which they're impure now from the community. Yeah. And you have to figure out how that works. I mean, there's obviously different categories for this, but I'm talking about standard sin. Yeah. We tend to kind of move away or kind of be judgy or we don't want to get tainted by that. Um, 
I don't think that's what Jesus did. <laughs> no, no, he didn't. Um, the opposite. He 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 was willing to take the taint into himself. He took all the evil of humanity in himself at the cross. And yeah. one of the things is, even if you say, well, in his life, you know, you can kind of qualify things. You, the cross doesn't qualify. The yeah. cross is an open, universal acceptance of all the evil in the world. Yeah. He was, uh, I saw this actually on Facebook. Maybe it's a common thing, but it was um, God in the hands of angry sinners. Oh, yeah. Jonathan Turtle. Yeah, yeah, the turtle, Mr. Yeah. Turtle. Um, I don't know if he invented that or someone else has said that, but um, it's right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, you want to be careful of how, how you mean God there, but he's right. Right. Um, and there's just something to that. You know, the, the New Testament talks about how we should come alongside people, weep with those who weep, grieve with those who grieve, encourage the faint hearted and so on. I think I'm, yeah, I think that's right. Something like that anyways. I think sometimes we miss real counsel is sometimes not having the answer, but yeah. actually just being a, a friend and not abandoning yeah. someone. And you see that with, the, with, with Job's friends, the best thing that they do for him is when they sit for that week, right? When everything happens, it's a good sit, point. Sit quietly and mourn with them. <laughs> That's it. You know, you have the abandoners, the wife who says curse God and die. And then you have yeah. the helpers who try to fix the problem, but yeah. they're trying to fix it by, by, there must be some problem in your life to fix. I think all of us who want to use the Bible to counsel people can fall into this trap. We have so much biblical text in front of us, and we think there must be a single problem that I can apply a, a particular Bible verse to to fix it. No. That wasn't true with Job at all. No. He, he's upright no. and good. Everything that was happening had nothing to do with him. Everything to do with Satan's challenge, uh, or God's challenge to Satan, however you want to put it. Right. With that divine vindic uh, divine theodicy, the vindication of his, his goodness, yeah. uh, or, or, or his worthiness, whatever you want to say it. And that that tells you, uh, like, this is, I think this is just so important. I'm going to say one more thing, then I'll let you go. No, no. Uh, or let you talk. Um, it, yeah. we just, no, I don't mean, yeah, you don't have to leave. Go in terms of add your own. <laughs> I, I, just, I just think this is so important that we need to be so careful not to be fixers yeah. but to be co-sufferers with Christ. Yeah. hebrews 10 talks about uh, people being in jail and the congregation there is said to be sympathizers but there that sympathy that with suffering is the kind of root of it that's what it means more yeah. literally there they've suffered yeah. alongside of them yeah I mean, this is christ as well uh, i believe it's hebrews 4 that he has uh, he's, he sympathizes with our weakness and that sympathy yeah. there is again it's because he's incarnated he knows our suffering. He suffered alongside of us in the more literal sense. Uh, you know, sympathy in English sometimes no longer has that literal sense of co-suffering. Yeah. It has more to do with, I don't know, you feel, sympathy. yeah, you <laughs> sympathy card. Okay, yeah. sorry, you go. I talked a lot. Well, no, no, but bang on right with that, right? So like, because what, what's happening is that he's, he's, having, he's having this experience, right, of this alienation that he's talking about. And he feels even estranged from God too. You know, it's like, why is this happening to me? And where is God? Um, and he needs him. And that, that's this kind of hope that he's looking for. Um, a textbook that I use uh, for my world religions, world, world views and world religions class here at CCU is a book, a small little book called Enduring Divine Absence by Joe Minnick. Joe's a friend of mine through the Davenant Institute. And uh, I, even just the title, Enduring divine absence like when god is far it's like it's it's brutal like you gotta it's like you've got to endure through it because it's so awful when he's absent 
And, uh, and, I, and my students all resonate with the book because they're like, oh yeah, when God feels far, it's awful. And, and you've got that same sense here in Job, and yet he can get through and he can endure because of there's this hope that he's looking for, right? And, um, and so he's saying these things like, oh, you know, I'm a stranger even to my wife, my kids hate me. And then at the end, in, in near the latter part of, of, of 19, this amazing statement, right? In verse 25, he says, I know that my redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh, I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. And he says, my heart faints within me. It's like, he's, 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 he's going to die. And he almost like he's like, he's dying alone. And yet he knows that there's something beyond. I don't think he knows what it is, you know, but he's got this sense that, that, that God's going to redeem him and he's going to see God face to face. And it's like this, like, it's like this kind of like, what we now know more in a broader canonical sense, is there's an anticipation of a resurrection, I guess, here, but I don't even know if Job's aware of that, you know? You, this reminds me so much of Psalm 73 again. It's, it's Asaph, I, I looked. Um, yep. he said, so basically in chapter 19 of Job, everyone's become a stranger and alienated from him. Yeah. The only person that Job finds is left is his redeemer. Yeah. Um, Asaph says at the end, you know, all these bad things happen. I was like, I was, a, I was brutish and ignorant toward, towards you. Then he says, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you'll receive me into glory, receive me to glory. Yeah. Whom have I in heaven, but you. And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Kind of reminds me of that in in the sense of there's nothing else but God available to Job. Like we talk about that, you know, you should get saved. I mean, no one can save you if no one else but God alone, Christ alone. But a lot of times that doesn't really hit us because we have lots of friendships, family, you know what I mean? But Job is at the bottom. I mean, as I understand it, John Calvin preached like over 120 sermons on Job. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> and his theology is essentially God brings you to the bottom so that you can trust in, in God fully kind of deal. So um, maybe I'm wrong on John Calvin's sermon, but I think my memory serves that was... Well, he definitely, he preached extensively. He preached on it anyway. Yeah. I think I might be misremembering, but whatever. Yeah. Um, so I think it's fascinating. I have, I have a baby crying beside me, you can probably hear. I love it because remember in the last recording, yeah. Mike... <laughs> it's actually a two-year-old so i'm gonna go ahead and say maybe a toddler because <laughs> he's toddling about um i'm just gonna i'll quickly pause this all right the toddler toddled toddled out and so <laughs> we can keep talking without me at least being distracted other people probably like it it's a cute kid yeah, right? I, loved it. I thought it was great <laughs> But look at, like, what he's saying, like, in terms of this hope, right? So Job 27, and verse oh, yeah. six, he's talking about the wicked. He's just described himself in verse 6. I'm going to hold fast to my righteousness. I'm not letting it go. And then he says in verse 8, what's the hope of the godless when God cuts him off, when God takes away his life? Nothing. There's, you're wicked. There's no hope for you, man. Mm-hmm. And so, so where, you know, he's, he's, clinging to, he's clinging to God, as it were, with the hope that he's going to see God, even if it's not in this life, it seems like, you know, it's the same, it's kind of the same idea of back to the Ecclesiastes, all this under the sun is all relative. Even your death is relative. It's the vapor. 
what is most significant is what about what is above the sun and it sounds like job's kind of saying the same sort of things here i don't know if he's got a full-throated view of what resurrection looks like um but he's got some sort of hope in god that will transcend somehow physically his own death well i think job ends up showing us what everybody ought to be able to discern namely that you do need a redeemer and there needs to be something he he actually you know in chapter three basically wants death because of his his suffering but that doesn't eliminate his hope i mean job was in some sense like a how should i put this his experience did not prove the retribution principle his experience was life is very bad but he's able to still have hope in God. So, so whatever he knows from nature, whatever he knows as a, as a priest of God outside of the Abrahamic covenant and line, he knows like, like Melchizedek in Genesis 14, he knows something. So whether he knows about the resurrection, in one sense, he doesn't need to because he knows that his re- there is hope in the Redeemer. Yeah. He somehow, he looked forward to it. He knew about it. He didn't maybe know the details like we do after Christ. But I think this ends up showing us, it, it's essentially a gospel truth. He, he basically gets to the point where, um, according to his experience, he realizes he needs a redeemer. Oh. I think everybody who lives can get there. They oh. can't get the next step, which requires the word of the gospel. Yeah. But everybody knows they need a redeemer. And I think you yeah. know that through a confrontation with God's law in scripture or God's or a confrontation with natural law in nature. Both are God's way to be super Lutheran in a sense, to bring us low so that yeah. we might look to what's higher. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, so talking about Owen Anderson, who we're going to have on a couple of episodes from now, he gives this interesting summary. So I have a, I have a copy of the manuscript of his book. He's still, it's still in process. So it's just crap. But uh, he, he, just, he talks about in, in uh, for, for uh, chapter 28 of Job, he describes it as a parable. And uh, there's a hymn or a poem to wisdom. <laughs> And, uh, and then he gives a kind of summary and he says this, and I, I thought it was kind of helpful. He says, uh, so, the, so the summary of Job as a philosopher, behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. It is such an early time in human history, and he is already affirming this. Philosophy should get us there because of, of the very name of it. Do we love wisdom? Then we'd pursue it like this, and we would not end up in biblical atheism. He's got a whole discussion where he calls biblical atheism that's like in various times. Uh, they, they've got like a kind of view of God, but they're like practical atheists. Uh, and he says, so um, he says, we sh- we've not, if, if, if we pursue it like this, we've not end up in biblical atheism, affirming some kind of demiurge or first causes no longer acting out in the world. The summary of Job's teaching, have you considered God's servant, God's servant Job? You're like, mm. yeah, you're right. Like, it's not just to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? It's actually to all of us. Mm. Look at what Job did. Should we not pursue wisdom in exactly the same way? <laughs> but that's tough because it's that's a brutal path to walk. It's a brutal but necessary path. And I like the category of biblical atheism. Yeah. It reminds me like Proverbs says to study the the ant. Ecclesiastes and, and Job obviously tell us to seek wisdom wherever it where it can be found. Yeah. Ultimately, it's God, ultimately it's Christ, but it's throughout everything i mean through our experience through nature everything we see um is evidence of god's i mean to use calvin fatherly care yeah we can see god in creation in limited but yet true ways yeah. limited because 
we can't, I mean, Job didn't know exactly what was going on either until God tells him at the end. Well, actually, (laughs) it's because you're human and I'm God. You're limited by definition. And therefore, our ability to discern life, even our suffering, all those kinds of stuff is completely limited. And that's actually good Uh, because you're not God. Yeah, he gives a, he, and it's funny, I, I realized something too, where he, he has an earlier statement to one of the, in, in one of his replies uh, to his friends, uh, where he says effectively what God tells him at the end. Mm. Uh, I noted it, now I can't find it. Um, even this, I mean, go back to what we were just saying, right? Even in 1315, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Wow. Um you know, that's such a, 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 a such a commonly quoted verse. And yet at the same time, you actually start digging in and you've got this all kind of rolling around. Well, your head. Or even 13.3, yet I would speak to Shaddai and I wanted, want to dispute with God. Can you imagine? I mean, he gets to, in a sense, uh, although uh, his answer is, um, I repent yeah. in dust and ashes. <laughs> yeah, I can't find that verse. I wish I could find it where he, he basically says exactly to God what God or about God, what God actually will say to him at the end, you know, he's like, he's like I, I wasn't there when God created all this stuff, you know? Yeah. The biblical atheism thing is neat in, in Owen Anderson. It's probably something we should talk to him about when we, uh, when we interview. Yeah. Him. But he, he looks at uh, Job 22, 12 uh, as a kind of like example of this biblical atheist, uh, which, which Owen will uh, kind of link to the kind of contemporary materialist the, or the, uh, the atheist today. And he says, because in in uh, in twelve, it's almost like Epicurean. He says, uh, so twenty two twelve is God is not God high in the heavens? See the highest stars, how lofty they are. But you say, what does God know? Can he judge th- uh, through the deep darkness? It's like God's so far away. If he's there, he doesn't really do anything, you know. And it's Epicureanism is effectively atheism. Maybe God's there, but he's not really doing anything, you know. And I was like, whoa, like that was really helpful. Mm-hmm. God has not come near to us. I, I like it. I, I think this might be, uh, we've talked a number of topics here. I think we can maybe close it down for today. We have two more episodes on, left. Let's leave it for the next one. <laughs> yeah, there's so much more we could say. I think this is a good summary. I mean, where, where is tourism found? It's found in avoiding sin, fearing God. We should seek it. Maybe a summary statement could be, we seem to undervalue the love of wisdom. We view that as an ivory tower thing or something that a Christian maybe doesn't need to participate in. But actually, I think God calls us to be wise, to study the world. There is, if, you're, if your vocation is biology or medicine or whatever it is that you can study the world, geology around you, this is good and right and wholesome and as part of your Christian vocation. Wherever we find ourselves in life, we should use and seek wisdom. Ultimately, though, we have to admit that there's limits. And finally, the most important thing is to, to fear God and to avoid evil because we're so limited, we actually can't handle it all. We can't fathom the depths of the wisdom that is in God. Yeah. So that's it. Let's, let's stop for today and we'll see you next, next time.